0: Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. We started out today with the most familiar part of Divine Service Setting 1 in Lutheran Service Book. This is the feast of victory for our God. I think most people would say that uh, they love that hymn of praise. maybe they don't know why they love it. it's a it's a catchy tune easy to dance to I'm not really sure but uh, today in episode 9 we want to begin our detailed look at the divine services in Lutheran service book and we'll begin with the beginning. We'll begin with Divine service 1. I have with me my uh, trusted associate, Pastor Adam Moline. Welcome, Adam. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to uh, digging into Divine Service Setting 1.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here, and it is a great thing to study uh, what we do in worship and to understand why we do what we do. Uh, It helps us to uh, appreciate the depth and the uh, richness of our Lutheran heritage.
0: In some of the earlier episodes of At Home in Your Hymnal, we've looked at uh, a theology of worship, a biblical theology, and that would mean that would be a Lutheran theology of worship as well. We've taken a look at some specific things, uh, the funeral service, for example. We've had uh, Pastor Kuhlman on several times, who's talked about some of the broader issues in worship and uh, kind of a Lutheran confessional study of worship. And we want to get into some of the details. Hopefully we have the uh, technology down so that we can listen to things and uh, tear them apart or explain them in uh, better detail. So bear with us. Uh, As we begin here on Episode 9, a look at Divine Service, Setting 1. If you have your Lutheran service book handy, that begins on page 151 in our hymnal, and uh, you might find it helpful to follow along. If not with your book, at least follow along in your mind. Pastor, a few words about the name, Divine Service. You know, most people, when they talk about going to church, they talk about going to church. Or they might say, what service do you attend? And uh, it's kind of a a common vernacular around many Christian churches to call their worship time a service time. Now, with some of the more contemporary services, maybe that phraseology or that terminology is gone, and there might be a reason for that. We'll explore that uh, in future programs as well. But the name divine service. What's going on? Is, is that just an adiaphora, or is the name itself teaching us something?
1: The name is definitely teaching us something. In fact, it uh, has its roots back many hundreds of years in uh, German, uh, where it was called a goddessdienst. Uh, which means God's service, and that really reflects what is happening in the divine service. It is a place where we go where God serves us, where God gives his gifts. He does that through the uh, words that are spoken and sung in the liturgy, all of which are uh, almost exact quotes from Scripture itself. Uh, The Word is given uh, in the hymns that we sing, which contain God's Word and teach the same things that God's Word teaches. It's given in the gifts given, for example, the absolution spoken by the pastor, or uh, uh, reminding us of our baptism with the invocation and making the sign of the cross. Uh, Also then in the service of the sacrament where we receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. In all of these things, God is serving the people, sitting in the pew, giving his gifts, caring for them, providing for them, and that's opposite of what so many people think about worship today. Uh, In fact, even that verb, worship, uh, in our modern English, carries this connotation that we're the ones doing the doing, that God needs some sort of service from us, that he needs us to pray to him and wave our hands to him and, and all that, uh, as if he really needed something from us. The Lutheran perspective is completely opposite. We need things from him. So we call it divine service, knowing that in the service, God takes care of us.
0: Isn't it amazing that we often act? Uh, we, we probably wouldn't articulate it this way because it's so silly, but we often act as if God has a self-esteem problem, <laughs> as if God needs his ego stroked, and, uh, you know, like the pagan gods, we've got to come and do something to make God happy, stroke his ego, show how much we love him, and then maybe, just maybe, God will act. Uh, I think you articulated that very, very well, that Gottesdienst uh, that word, that divine service. God, the divine, the only divine, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is serving us. Why do we have it backwards, When the first thing we think about with regard to attending church is the thought, what am I going to get out of it today? How is that a backwards way of looking at things, and how can that be understood in a
1: right way? Well, um, when we think about worship, uh, we are there to receive the things God gives, and uh, that's that's the right way to think about it is, how is God going to provide his gifts to me in word and in sacrament? There's no other place really in the entire world where things work that way. Um, it's not like we uh, get up in the morning and we say, what's my boss going to do for me at work today? Um, before he does that, we have to go in. We have to put in an eight-hour day. Uh, usually we have to put in more than one of those eight-hour days uh, 40 hours a week, and that's how we get a paycheck. We don't think about getting the paycheck before we do anything for our boss. Um, there's really no other place in the entire world where we get something for nothing. Um, and I mean, not nothing. Jesus, of course, sacrificed himself to uh, give it to us, but uh, we didn't do anything to deserve what we get in church. There's no other place that. that. That happens, and so we we really struggle to understand how this particular place can work that way. Um, And and really, it's it's one of the things that divides the true religion from all other false religions. Uh, The true religion is receiving free gifts from God, uh, earned by Jesus Christ, distributed to us. Every single other religion that exists is all. What do you do for God to make Him happy? You talked about the pagans making sacrifices, Uh, we could talk about Islam having to uh, follow their particular laws, visit Mecca, pray the certain right amount of times per day, give the right amount of money to uh, the the, uh, mosque. The same thing could be true with uh, uh, Judaism, obeying the laws the right way and thus receiving your reward. Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, meditating until you find uh, uh, the truth out within yourself And so there's no other place where God gives first. And so it's a struggle for us to comprehend and to understand that God gives first.
0: I think, uh, again, very, very well said. Uh, When we go to church, I think sometimes we are looking for some sort of an emotional high, uh, a mountaintop experience, you know, kind of like when— Uh, the inner circle of disciples got a chance to go with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, they had that mountaintop experience, and Peter foolishly says, ooh, ooh, let's build three tents, three tabernacles, and let's stay here forever. Human beings are emotional beings, and our emotions uh, are as varying as the weather in Nebraska. So church has to be more than an emotional stroke, uh, an emotional high. Uh, We are not always on an emotional high. The cares and the worries of this world need to be taken seriously. And so when we come into God's house, we need... God to serve us. Now, if that results in some sort of uh, an emotion, uh, when I sing certain hymns, I can't help but tear up. Yeah. Certain parts of the liturgy on certain days in my life uh, are extremely emotional for me. But the emotion and creating the emotion and stroking the emotion are not the primary reasons for worship. It not is God serving And I think Luther's distinction about salvation accomplished at the cross and empty tomb 2,000 years ago, and now salvation delivered to us as he delivers his gifts, the primary place he delivers his gifts is in the divine service. Pastor, uh, just a a few comments in general about any of the divine services in the Lutheran Church of the rhythm and rhythm. And flow, the back and forth that is taking place in a divine service.
1: Yeah, that back and forth is a great part of understanding our Lutheran worship. Uh, What happens is God gives. A gift, or God says a word, uh, and then once we hear that word or receive that gift, uh, we respond, and and oftentimes we speak a response back that says, "Yeah, your word is good and right," uh, or we give Amen. thanks to God. Amen. Right? Uh, yes, yes, it shall be so. Uh, or we give we give thanks to God, or uh, uh, we uh, we pray in response to what He does. So. God gives something. He starts, he gives his name in the invocation, and we respond and say, Amen. Uh, He gives us uh, absolution, and we say, Amen. Uh, He gives his word, and we say, uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so God gives, God gives, and then uh, right away we respond back. Or we we even say, This is what your word says, Lord. Uh, We heard what you said. Here's what you have given, or here's what you say. So back and forth, back and forth in that way.
0: His love, our response. Sometimes I've heard the terms used, uh, a sacramental part of worship and a sacrificial part of worship. Uh, if somebody uses those terms, Pastor, briefly, uh, what are they talking about?
1: Yeah, Um Sacramental would be um, when God is uh, giving his gifts in uh, some sort of uh, thing uh, where his word is attached to that to deliver forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Sacrificial uh, oftentimes is when, uh, uh, when we're giving something. And, and this goes back and forth, kind of like I was talking about before, uh, between the, the giving and the receiving from God.
0: When. God is giving and God is doing the verbs Uh, in a broad sense that is a sacramental action from God to us, where that term divine service comes from. And when we are responding back to him, we give him our sacrifice of praise. You can see right off the bat how things are thrown out of whack with regard to this rhythm and flow of worship. If the worship is all sacrificial, me giving to God, me giving to God, that is why a praise service, even by the name and certainly by definition, is completely one-sided and our praise is not fed or fueled by God and his word and his gifts. I want you to ponder that for a little bit as we uh, take our first break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We'll be back in just a moment, and we're going to be looking at Divine Service Setting 1, The Invocation. What is it, and why is it? Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our program, At Home in Your Hymnal, is uh, designed to have you be at home or comfortable with your hymnal. First and foremost, when you go to church, and uh, hopefully your church uses a hymnal, it's a great guide and a great tool, and we're also encouraging people to consider having a hymnal in their home, an opportunity to have daily devotions, a family time, and to make what happens on Sunday morning an integral part of your piety, your personal walk with God, and your family devotions, and family worship as well. This is Episode 9, and in this particular segment, we're going to be looking at the beginning details, the preparatory rite, so to speak, in Divine Service 1. That's on page 151 in your Lutheran Service book. Now, Pastor, before we get into the invocation, uh, I look at the hymnal here, and I see some little bitty words in red and I see some other words that are in black and in bold. And for somebody that's not familiar with a hymnal, for somebody who doesn't know what is going on, uh, they may have heard the term rubric with regard to your hymnal. Uh, What is a rubric? Why is a rubric? And uh, what difference does it make when I open up my hymnal and go to
1: church? Yeah, rubrics are an important thing for... Uh, those of us who are in worship, because they kind of tell us uh, what we should do uh, as we're saying the words that are written in black. The rubrics are uh, written there, so they say things like, uh, this is the time when you should stand up, this is the time when you should sit down, here's where a particular song is sung, Uh, here's where you make the sign of the cross, and even in our new hymnal, it tells us uh, what we should do as we make that sign of the cross. Remember our baptism, Uh, it tells us why the pastor is uh, standing up there quietly uh, after... uh, talking about confessing sins because it's giving us opportunity to consider our own sins, to self-examine uh, and meditate upon God's Word. Um, we also have the rubrics that tell us who says what word. We have a little P uh, that tells us when the pastor should say something. We have an L that says when the uh, the leader or the assistant to the pastor speaks. We have the C uh, that is usually bold colored that tells us the congregation says that part. And so the rubrics, they kind of explain where... Uh, or what everybody should be doing at a particular time during the service, and so um, they're kind of helpful in that regard, For especially for those who are new uh, or are visiting Good Shepherd for the first time or another hymnal church. Um, that's one of the great things about having the hymnal with the rubrics in it. You go to a church where there's no hymnal, you kind of look around at everybody else instead of paying attention to receiving god's gifts trying to figure out what you're doing uh when people are standing or not and and actually my opinion without those rubrics and uh, without the uh, order of service oftentimes it kind of gets chaotic people coming in and out going for coffee standing and sitting i've even been in churches where there's people standing in the back of the sanctuary talking so the rubrics kind of help give us a a direction so we can avoid those things.
0: They give us a direction. They give us a a sense of something bigger happening than uh, just a me and Jesus kind of a moment. I've seen some pastors that have T-shirts or a sweatshirt that uh, say, do the red, say the black. And that's really what the hymnal and the rubrics are. Rubric is from the Latin, and uh, rubric simply is red, In Mm -hmm. Latin. So the words that are in red are rubrics, and that tells us what to do. It helps us avoid those uh, chaotic kind of times in worship. It keeps us from turning worship into a free-for-all. And it also helps us follow the directive, uh, th- this is from God's Word, the Bible. First 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, everything should be done decently and in order. Now that applies to the whole of the Christian life, but the context there in First Corinthians 14 is talking specifically about worship. So as we do things decently and in order, and I would submit to you too that, uh, congregations of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that have agreed in the uh, uh, Constitution and bylaws to use only synodically approved hymnals and worship agendas. This helps us in our walk together. It gives us a brand, if you want to use the marketing lingo of the world, and it uh, allows you to visit other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations throughout the country and throughout the world. And we pretty much should be doing the same thing. Uh, It won't be the same sermon. It won't be the same hymns, but the same form and the same order. That's a good thing, and that is a very positive thing as well. So it, as we – oh, go ahead, Pastor, yeah, sorry. It
1: also – and I think this is an important part of it – it also helps to remove – the personality of whoever the pastor is. Uh, I've been to churches, uh, not not Lutheran churches, but I've been to churches where uh, the pastor has to uh, kind of put on a show, and he's dancing around and singing and and trying to be that entertainer. and And the focus then becomes not upon Christ and His Word, but instead upon the man up there. Uh, or or maybe uh, I've been to uh, a church service where. Um, the, uh, pastor was, uh, really trying to emphasize things by doing things differently than what it says in the rubrics, and, and he was, uh, swinging his arm like a tomahawk at a, uh, uh an Atlanta Braves game doing the, uh, uh the sign of the cross, right? <laughs> and, um. And it's not according to the rubrics when you're doing these things because you're drawing attention to yourself by acting contrary to the way all the churches in all times and all places have done things. The rubrics help keep us honest in that regard so that pastors can melt into the background and Christ can come to the forefront.
0: Again, very, very well said. So when you see the red, that gives us direction about what we should do or what we may do. And on page 151 of Divine Service Setting 1, a hymn of invocation may be sung. Some churches have the tradition, like we do here at Good Shepherd, to begin the worship service with a hymn. Uh, Generally, that hymn should be connected to the theme of the day, or a hymn that is a beginning of worship, morning or evening, depending on the time of the day of the worship service, something guiding and focusing you to Christ and his word and his gifts. Uh, This is an option. You don't have to do it. It's not right or wrong. And uh, it seems to be a good place to begin.
1: And even uh, before we get to that hymn of vocation, I think it might be worthwhile to talk about the different parts of the service in general there are There are three parts uh, of the divine service. The first part here that we're we're looking at on page one fifty one is uh highlighted as confession and absolution uh, or in the uh the old versions in the Latin, it was the confiteor um, and this part uh is is kind of Uh, it's maybe the newest part of being attached to the whole divine service. It used to be done on an individual basis uh, before the service began. Uh, After that comes the service of the word if you turn to page 152 in the hymnal and that is where we hear God's word, hear the sermon, and and that sort of thing. And then the third part is uh, the service of the sacrament where we receive the Lord's Supper. Those three parts of the service are there in all the divine services, no matter, uh, maybe the words are a little bit different, but those three parts are there and that is the first rubric then telling us those different parts of the service
0: Uh, some people have explained that uh, in a way that uh, a person is getting ready to go on a hike and the first thing you do before you go on a hike is you need to pack you need to get ready you need to prepare that uh, invocation, confession, and absolution is uh, the preparatory rite. Uh, generally, nowadays, it is attached to the divine service. It can be done as a separate service. And a couple of times out of the year, especially on Ash Wednesday and Monday, Thursday, when we want to highlight uh, that confession and absolution, we treat that uh, almost as a separate part of the service, maybe two services in one. So that's the preparation. And then when you start out on your journey, uh, let's say you're going to walk up a, a hill or a mountain, you go so high, and then after you go so high, you come back down. There are two particular mountaintops or peaks in the divine service. The first is the service of the Word, where God is giving us his word. We receive his word, um, a psalm, an introit, Old Testament reading, an epistle, and the highlight of the highlights in that service of the word is the holy gospel. And then we kind of come back down. We prepare again. And the second peak or the second highlight is the service of the sacrament, where Christ feeds us with his very body and blood given and shed for us For the forgiveness of sins. Now, assume we're going to go on that journey. If you like that uh, image or metaphor, great. If you don't, well, create your own. But uh, you mentioned before the sign of the cross is made by all in remembrance of their baptism. And then the pastor says, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and the congregation responds, Amen. That is called the invocation. Those words are directly from Scripture. Matthew 28, verse 19, familiar part of the baptismal formula, a familiar part of uh, what we would normally call the Great Commission. These words are spoken first and foremost when a pastor is ordained with regard to the institution of the Office of the Holy Ministry. So we have all these things coming together here in these words that we start the worship service with. So, Pastor, why do we start with an invocation? What is it and why is it?
1: Yeah, there's a, a lot of reasons that we could uh, actually go into for this um, and so maybe just kind of start running through some of them. Uh, first off um, when we make that invocation and the, uh, the sign of the cross upon us we are uh, remembering our baptism where Christ clothed us in the robe of Christ's righteousness uh, where all of our sins were washed away and uh, we even have uh, during the baptismal rite we receive the sign of the cross both upon our forehead and upon our hearts to mark us as those redeemed by Christ the crucified so beginning our services with that uh, remembrance of baptism, uh, says that all of us who are here, we're a part of the church, meaning God has called us out of our uh, sinful uh, other ways and now put us into the ark of the Holy Christian Church uh, so that we can receive forgiveness of sins and eventually, when we leave this world, to also receive eternal life uh, and uh, recreation through Jesus Christ. Uh, Also, I think it's important for us as uh, Lutherans to remember the Ten Commandments with this, uh, specifically the... Second Commandment, um, which means you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, uh, and and Luther in the Large Catechism says the biggest way that the Second Commandment is broken is when some sort of false teaching is proclaimed with God's name attached to it. Uh, so if we're we're saying something that God does not say, and we're saying God says, you know, um, we ought to uh, uh, have pancakes with butter and syrup every morning if we want to be saved. That's a silly thing, but if if some pastor says that's the truth, uh, they're breaking the second commandment. So when we begin our service with the invocation, with God's name, we're saying everything we're doing from this point uh, until the benediction is all God's word, it's all according to God's command, and uh, we're seeking to uh, only have that particular word uh, influence anything that happens in the service. That helps uh, even define what our worship looks like uh, going forward in the service as well because there are some worship practices uh, that do not reflect God's word or God's command, and therefore they really shouldn't have any part of the service. Uh, one example real quick i know we're running out of time is uh and this is a nebraska thing when uh when we have a wedding service and we begin with the invocation we probably shouldn't have uh the recessional going out of the service be the nebraska corn huskers fight song uh, i don't know if that's a thing here or not i guess but um, uh it's not appropriate cuz it's not according to god's word
0: it, uh, it hasn't happened here yet, and uh, by the grace of God, it won't happen. Uh, you can sing it at the reception. Dance all you want. Maybe you can even have a special visit from Coach Frost. Uh, you might want to invoke his name uh, at your wedding reception. I don't know why you would, but uh, when we begin worship, or when worship begins us, We invoke the name of the triune God. We're going to unpack that just a little bit more when we come back from our break. This is at home in your hymnal. Don't change that now.
1: back Sundays at noon on KNNA
0: Welcome back to at home in your Hypno, Pastor Clint Poppy Pastor Adam Moline. We're looking at the Divine service setting one in Moment service book. And uh, that intro is from the very familiar. This is the Feast of Victory for Our God. It's going to be a little while before we get all the way to hymn of praise and looking at that. We are beginning at the beginning. We've talked about some uh, introductory things and the rhythm and flow of a divine service. In segment one, we looked at rubrics and began our discussion of the invocation. In segment two, and now we want to continue that discussion of the invocation. In segment two, Pastor, you uh, you made a connection between the words of Jesus that we speak, the invocation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, congregation response, amen. You talked about making the sign of the cross, talked about remembering our baptism and that, that baptismal connection with those words of the invocation. Uh, from early on, the early Christian church used Psalm 1, to make that baptismal connection to the cross as well. And I just want to read the first three verses of that and get your feedback with regard to the connection between the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and the waters of holy baptism. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The church for nearly 2,000 years has looked at Psalm 1, verse 3 as a baptismal connection to the cross of Jesus Christ, baptismal regeneration, uh, God delivering Good Friday in the waters of holy baptism, that tree planted by the streams of water is the tree of the cross, and we who are born again and regenerated in the waters of holy baptism by the death and resurrection of Jesus, our lives prosper now. Our leaves don't fall off and die, they flourish Your thoughts and your comments about that connection between the words of the invocation at the beginning of the worship service and that Psalm 1 connection.
1: Yeah, and this even uh, builds upon, earlier we were talking about the three parts of the service, uh, and and there's almost a part for every one of the means of grace. The means of grace are the way that God delivers the forgiveness earned on the cross to us here today, 8,000 miles away from Jerusalem and 2,000 years later. Uh, The three means of grace are baptism, the Lord's Supper, and God's Word. And here in this confession and absolution part, the first part of the service, we're remembering our baptism baptism and uh, kind of like we talked about um In uh, baptism, God's name was put upon us. It's almost like we were branded in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, because we are baptized, because we are Christians, we are marked that way, we obviously uh, bear fruits of faith in our lives without even knowing it. Uh, We serve our neighbor, we love our God, all because God has given us such tremendous gifts in that water of baptism and uh, so there is that connection because we are baptized or as the psalmist said it planted by the uh, stream we do bear good fruits in love towards god and in service towards our neighbor
0: bearing fruit fruit that comes from god fruit that will last that is uh, a beautiful word picture for us psalm 1 verse 3. now We've talked a lot about baptism with regard to this uh, invocation. Maybe we need a few words about invocation. Uh, I think of invoking, and I think of inviting. Mm. Is it one? Is it both? Uh, what does that term or that title, invocation, mean as we start our worship service?
1: Yeah, I think there's a misunderstanding to say that we need to invite Jesus uh, to be a part of the service. I mean, uh, uh, Christ himself says, Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also among them. And uh, uh, that's kind of uh, what's happening here. When we are speaking the name of God and saying that everything we do in the service is done according to the name of God, uh, matching up with God's word, matching up with all the things that God teaches, Delivering God's gifts according to His institution. Uh, when we are uh, doing that, we are saying, it, it, we're invoking God's name. It's saying, uh, God's really the one who's doing the work here. God's the one who uh, told us to do what we're doing, and so everything we do is according to His name. That's different than saying, you know, God, we really wish that you would come and be present among us. Uh, with invocation, there's no doubt. Because the things being done are done in his name. There's no need to say, you know, if, if you have the time, God, please come hang out with us for an hour while we sing and, and dance and uh, do some things like that. It's almost kind of silly when you think about it, uh, knowing especially that God is present everywhere and that God is uh, all-powerful. Uh, God doesn't need our invitation. Um, he's present because he wants to be present.
0: I've heard uh, some people, some pastors, when they begin the worship service, uh, add a few words to the invocation. And the invocation for them will sound like this We make our beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, and I think people have good intentions when they do that. They're trying to personalize or spice up the liturgy a little bit. Maybe, like you said before, uh, drawing a little attention to themselves. Um, what is the problem? With everything that we've talked about so far with regard to who's doing the doing, what is the problem when we add those words, we make our beginning in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit?
1: the problem is is that um well first off it's it's kind of inwardly focused um uh, looking inward you know what we're doing to serve god rather than paying attention to where he's doing things for us uh in his name and for our behalf um and uh, you know we could even get even further uh who are we to say that we can make a beginning um, the fact is that God is the one who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church. He's the one who saved us by his work while we were still yet sinners. Um, we don't have to make a beginning. God makes the beginning for us, uh, and he He does so uh, on the cross, uh, dying to save us from our sins and rising again to declare to us that uh, salvation. Uh, and even in the uh, Genesis, you know, if we're talking about beginnings— in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, not uh, in the beginning, man said, you know, now it's time for us to start, God. Can you uh, help us out a little here? <laughs> God God makes beginnings, not man.
0: And I think that highlights sometimes how how we are foolish when we think we can add or improve to the words of the liturgy that has been handed down to us uh, throughout the centuries. And just a slight little change like that can shift our focus completely away from what's really going on here. We speak God's word, and the Holy Spirit, who calls, gathers, and enlightens, is calling the baptized to worship we invoke the name of god and god invites us to come into his holy presence and receive his gifts all of this is packed into these short words with regard to the invocation now pastor there there seems to be something growing in the last oh generation or so with regard to seeker sensitive worship or worship that is designed primarily for the unbeliever, primarily for the unchurched, primarily for the dechurched and the invocation is either not used or drastically changed to reflect that. Is it proper to say based on everything that we've talked about here that the divine service is primarily intended for baptized Christians?
1: It it is entirely Uh, primarily for baptized Christians. You know, while non-Christians may be present, and and we hope that it is so that people are coming to hear the word and, and wanting to become Christians, when we gather for corporate worship, the divine service is first and foremost an activity of a Christian congregation members of which have been joined to their Lord by the work of the Holy Spirit in baptism. It is by that word they have been made a new creation buried with Christ in his death for them and raised again to walk with him in the newness of life. And I think too, it's attaching us to something so much bigger than any individual, whether a Christian or a seeker, Uh, It is attaching us to the worship of heaven. And, uh, there's a certain holiness and reverence that uh, um when we are gathered together as christians we have knowing that with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven we're receiving gifts from our god so so to make it primarily about the non-christian instead of the christian takes that part of that out of the service, and and instead, once again, uh, whenever we change something, we remove our focus off of Christ and onto ourselves as sinners are wont to do, <laughs> and and I think that's what would happen if we change the service to be primarily for those who are not Christians. That means we're taking Jesus and Christ out of it.
0: I think that is a uh, mind blowing revelation for many many people in our world today now the the divine liturgy uh, divine service that we have in the lutheran hymnals are dripping with the blood of jesus they are dripping with the gospel of jesus christ there is certainly an evangelistic component so that if an unbeliever is in our worship service They can hear the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit can convert them by the word that is going on in that worship service. But that is not the primary aim of the divine service. The primary aim is for the baptized children of God to come into God's presence and to hear and receive God's gifts to be fed, nurtured, and sustained.
1: I think, too, there's an assumption that's made— when we try to change the service to meet a particular group. And the assumption is this, is that uh, the thing that makes people Christian is not the same across all uh demographic groups and ages and things like that as if there's something different that makes young people Christians than makes old people Christians. That there's something or, different
0: or, or millennials right. or baby boomers or you hear you hear all these kind of things thrown
1: out. And, and that's not the case. The way God works is always the same. He works through the means of grace, he works through his word, he works through his sacraments, and that's how he creates Christians. And imagine back to that original question you asked, imagine if um, you know at Memorial Stadium, we did everything uh, to fit the the fans that come from other teams, you know, so maybe we we change the whole uh, structure of our celebration and and watching the game to benefit the Ohio State fans instead of Nebraska Cornhusker fans. You know, if uh, every time a touchdown was scored by Ohio State, we all said, "Oh, O-H-I, however they do it, I don't know. I think that's you know? the first three letters. <laughs> so if we tried to do that, it would never work. People would be angry and mad. So why would we do that with something that's much, much more important than Nebraska football, the worship of our God? I
0: think that is a great illustration, and that's a great place for us to uh, bring this part of episode nine to a close we've been looking at divine service setting one the invocation when we come back we want to look at the second part of the preparatory rite, if you uh, want to call it that or say that way we want to look at the confession and absolution specifically in divine service setting one this is at home in your hymnal don't change that dial we'll be right back You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. We'd love to have you come and worship with us at Good Shepherd. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 10.30, with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also worship year-round Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Please join us, hear the Word of God, rejoice in His gifts. You can listen on KNA LP 95.7. All of our worship services are broadcast live on the radio. If you are outside the listening area, check us out on the app. Uh, Listen live on the website, www.thecross957.org. And we'd love to have your feedback, not only on this program, but any of our other programs that are archived there as well. We're looking at Divine Service Setting 1, page 151 in Lutheran Service Book. This is Episode 9, and we're beginning a series here where we're going to look at, in great detail, each of the parts of the Divine Service, and we're beginning with Divine Service Setting 1 in episode or in uh, segment 1 of episode 9 we looked at some of the general things with the divine service, the rhythm and flow in the worship service, the three particular parts of the worship. In part 2, segment 2, we looked at um rubrics and began our discussion of the invocation. In segment 3, we had a further discussion of the invocation and looked at how worship, the divine service is primarily for the baptized Christian. That may be a foreign concept to many of you. What is also a foreign concept to anyone who did not grow up Lutheran is the second part of the preparatory rite, a confession and absolution, a general confession and absolution. I have received more questions, more comments, and uh, at times uh, more chewing out for this part of the worship service from non-Lutherans, non-Christians, simply because they didn't understand what it was and they didn't understand why it was. Now, uh, one of the unique features of Divine Service Setting 1 is that this part of the service is prefaced with God's Word, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's what the pastor says, and then the congregation responds. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor, why that Bible passage at this particular time in the worship service?
1: Well, as we talked about earlier... We are hearing what God says, and then we're responding. And here we're hearing what God says specifically about the forgiveness of sins. Uh, number one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, John also says uh, right in that very same area, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, because the very truth is that all of us, by our nature, are sinners, uh, and that is the absolute truth. And so we have to understand what God says first. And God says, you are a sinner. And then we go on and say, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the purpose in confessing our sins here? It is to receive the absolution, the forgiveness from God. And this is something that does set Lutherans apart from, uh, for example, Catholics who also do confession and absolution. They don't have that absolution declared the same way. Way with no strings attached. We Lutherans, we teach uh, exactly what scripture says. When God says your sins are forgiven, they are. You don't have to say special prayers or give gifts or anything like that. God's word does exactly what it says. When he says your word's forgiven, it is forgiven.
0: That connects us back to the fifth chief part of Luther's small catechism as well. And uh, many people don't realize the big debate that was going on uh, in the church of the late Middle Ages uh, leading up into Reformation time with regard to the sacrament of penance, how it was abused and misused. Uh, Lutheran churches do not have a sacrament of penance. What we have is confession and absolution. And in Luther's small catechism, uh, we are taught to ask the question, what is confession? And the answer is confession has two parts. The first, that we confess our sins, and the second, that we receive absolution as if from God himself, through the pastor, as if from God himself. That was mind-boggling. That was earth-shaking to say that confession has two parts. Now, today in our world, uh, a lot of people would say that confession has one part. Confession is good for the soul. Uh, go to any 12-step program, and you'll know exactly what I mean. You confess, you you uh, get a load off, but you never, ever hear that you are forgiven. In uh, some churches, like the Roman Catholic Church, as you mentioned, Pastor, confession has three parts. You confess your sin, you receive absolution, and then you are told what you have to do to make satisfaction to make that absolution real, to to kind of seal the deal or cement the forgiveness of sins. And this had been a part of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. How it crept in, I'm not exactly sure, but it is contrary to the word of God. And so for Luther and the Lutheran church to come out and say, confession only has two parts, this this rocked the boat with regard to how people did church. And it also took away a lot of the power of the priests and the churches to simply trust the word of God that your sins are forgiven how how can you do that, Luther? Um, some reflections and comments on that, Pastor.
1: Yeah, and even um, to be able to know that your sins are completely and totally forgiven with no strings attached, what a comfort that is. Uh, and this is one of the places when I've talked with people who are Roman Catholic, uh, and we tell them, you know, well, we don't. God doesn't need you to do anything to earn your forgiveness. Christ did everything on the cross, and his word right here is just there to remind you and tell you you have forgiveness of sins. Uh, What a great comfort it is for a lot of people who, who feel guilt. Uh, who uh, I've seen uh, people who are told, um, you know, if you want your loved one to get out of purgatory and into heaven, you've got to stay a Catholic and you've got to keep on praying for them uh, so that uh, by your prayers you can earn absolution for them to get them all the way into heaven. And, and just a tremendous amount of guilt that goes with that. I think then, too, we have to uh, talk about our modern day and age as well, where so often that first part is the problem, uh, to say that we're sinners who need to make a confession. Uh, The popular thing in the the modern culture is to say there is no such thing as sin unless it is telling someone else they have sinned and that that's the only sin that exists, and that's not, again, what God's Word says. What we're trying to do here with confession and absolution is to say what God says, uh, both in terms of our sinful nature and also in terms of his forgiveness.
0: In uh, the Old Testament ceremonial law and ceremonial worship, you would see that the priest would have to perform many, many duties to cleanse himself before he could come into the presence of a holy God, he had to wear special garments. He had to do certain ceremonial washings. He had to do all of these things before a sinful priest could come into the presence of a holy God. Uh, I like to joke that uh, if the priest did not have his holy underwear on, uh, he was uh, he was liable to get zapped by God because he wasn't clean. He wasn't pure. Pastor, is that what's going on here in confession and absolution, or is it something a little bit connected but completely
1: different? It's it's the second one. Uh, it is um, finding our cleansing and our forgiveness. Um, but it is not finding it in some sort of actions or some special way that we wash. It's finding it in Jesus. The reason that the pastor can say uh, your sins are forgiven is because Jesus has gone to the cross, suffered, bled, and died to forgive that sin. And uh, nothing we can do can add to that. Nothing we can do can subtract from that. Forgiveness is found only then uh, in Jesus and what he has done on the cross.
0: The ceremonial law and all of these ceremonial washings uh, have been fulfilled by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is our perfect high priest. He is perfectly clean, sinless, the spotless lamb of God who shed his blood on Calvary's cross to bring us forgiveness, light, and salvation. Now, we're not going to have enough time, unfortunately, to get into um, the the specifics and the details about what seems to be so foreign in uh, so many people's minds when they come into a Lutheran church and they see a human being, a pastor, a sinful pastor, stand up and forgive sins. How many times I have heard who does that pastor think he is to stand up there and forgive sins? Does he think he's God? And, you know, we have to admit as well that there are some times when pastors foolishly think they are God or act like a God, and uh, that kind of sacerdotalism has no place in the Lutheran Church. As we bring Episode 9 to a close in this particular segment where we're looking at Confession and Absolution, I want to give you something to think about and meditate and ponder, and when we come back with episode ten, this is where we want to begin John twenty nineteen to twenty three These are words that are a part of Easter Sunday. They are the, a part of the pericope for the second Sunday after Easter, and they are the words of institution for the office of the Holy Ministry and specifically for the absolution. John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pastor, we've only got a short time left. Just a a brief word on these words and why they are so foundational for Lutheran worship.
1: Yeah, Jesus breathed on him. He spoke a word. Uh, It's the same way that uh, God made Adam alive uh, in the beginning. And so the word of absolution from Jesus makes alive. He gives the authority to uh, those uh, apostles and to the church then to forgive sins so that uh, when a pastor or uh, anyone uh, that's Christian forgives sins, it is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, as if Christ, our dear Lord, dealt with him, dealt with us, himself uh, and uh, what a great promise and blessing that is to hear that that we can have absolute certainty through the word spoken by a pastor that our sins are absolutely totally forgiven that's a comfort it's a great great comfort
0: any true christian church any true lutheran church is a guilt free zone the power of the word cleanses and absolves it's not the word of a man but a man who has the authority of our lord and savior jesus christ who has risen from the dead for you and delivers his gifts to you in the divine service thanks for tuning in to at home in your hymnal we'll be back again soon and we will pick up right where we left off god's richest blessings in Christ.